We are thankful that you're here today to worship the Lord with us, to look into His Word together. And when you look at a short parable that is only recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 21, beginning with verse 28, reading from the New American Standard text, what do you think? A man had two sons. He came to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said to him, the first. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. And you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterward so as to believe him. And we are in the last week of the ministry of Jesus. The last week he is going to lead to his crucifixion and to his resurrection. And in the midst of this, we have three parables from 21 verse 28 to 22 and verse 14. Three parables. You notice that the first and last are only in the Gospel of Matthew. The one that we just read in Matthew 22 verses 1 through 14 only in Matthew's Gospel. The first two, the first two deal with a vineyard. A vineyard. The, the vineyard was a picture of the parable in Matthew 20 as well. Remember how the kingdom of God is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers in his vineyard? So a vineyard is often the setting for a parable. Now, probably... Not many of us have been too closely associated with vineyards. I know some of you have probably done a little bit, but we're going to keep that image of a vineyard in mind, and we're going to come back to it. But I can remember when I was younger, and a lot of you will remember this as well, singing many songs and services that dealt with this particular image. I want to be a worker for the Lord. I want to love and trust His Holy Word. I want to sing and pray and be busy every day in the vineyard of the Lord. I will work, I will pray in the vineyard in the vineyard of the Lord. I will work, I will pray, I will labor every day in the vineyard of the Lord. It made its way into songs frequently because it was found in Scripture. 
I would also encourage you, and some of you know the songbook inside and out, and songs that we've sung. Uh, I know there were other songs that I sang growing up, and, and even more recently, that deal with a vineyard. And feel free to tell me what those were, but, but I remember that song quite vividly growing up. But this imagery, we'll come back to that imagery and the significance of that imagery in a moment. But Jesus starts this parable and says, what do you think? Often in his teaching, he asks that question. What do you think? And he said, a man had two sons, and the first he tells, go work in the vineyard. Now, some translations reverse the order of the sons. They make the same point, but they have the first son volunteering to go and then not going, and the second son saying, I'm not going to go, and then going into the vineyard. I looked through several translations, and I did not find that reversed order in some of the places that I thought it was. But, but if you have a translation that has that, please tell me afterwards what it is. But we're going to follow the New American Standard, and most Greek manuscripts and most translations, the first son is invited, go work in the vineyard. Go work in the vineyard. And that son says, I'm not going to go. He says, I'm not going to go. But he reflects on that and he regrets his decision. And because of regretting his decision, he ends up going into the vineyard to work. On the other hand, the second son is ready and willing to go. When asked, go work in the vineyard, he said, I will, sir. He is volunteering that he will be active in the vineyard of the Lord. He said it, but he didn't do it. He didn't act on that. Which of the two did the will of his father? Now, we are aware the importance of our actions matching our words. A couple of passages that come readily to mind when I think of that, and when you think of that, first, James 2. In James 2, what use is it, verse 14, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go and peace, be warmed and filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is it? Even so, faith... If it has no works, is dead. That's James 2, 14 through 17. Similar words are used of love in 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, 
How does the love of God abide in you? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Those passages tell us that words are not enough. It is not enough simply to say, I go, I will, and then not go into the vineyard. And so the question that Jesus asks, and there are not many parables of Jesus where he calls upon the crowd to give an answer, but the parable that Jesus, the question Jesus asks is, which of these did the will of the Father? And the answer is the first. The first. And Jesus draws a conclusion from this. Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the sinners, the tax collectors, excuse me, and the harlots will enter the kingdom of God before you. Actually, the New American Standard has the word prostitute. It's the only time in Matthew the term tax collectors and prostitutes are used together. He uses tax collectors and sinners together, but, but it's the only time he uses tax collectors and prostitutes. They are the first son. They are the ones that say, I'm not going to go. They had expressed no interest in God. They had expressed no interest in the things of God or working in the vineyard of the Lord. But later they regretted that. And then they went to work in the vineyard. On the other hand, the second son represents the religious leaders, the chief priests and the elders that were mentioned back in verse 23. They're the ones that are described by the second son. He said, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. And you seeing him did not even feel remorse afterward so as to believe in him. When they asked Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Jesus says, I will ask you a question. Is the baptism of John from heaven or of men? Jesus did not specifically answer that question in last week's passage that we dealt with. But he does in this passage as he's talking to the same audience. He says in verse 32, John came to you in the way of righteousness. He was from heaven. He was from God. And when he came to you in the way of righteousness, the tax collectors and the prostitutes heard him regretted that they had turned down God's invitation. And they went to go and work in the vineyard. The chief priests and the elders, the ones who refused to answer whether John's baptism was from heaven or of men, they are the ones who said, I will, sir. But they don't go. These are the people who have studied the scriptures and seen the passages about the Messiah. And they were longing for the Messiah, they would have told you. They wanted the Messiah to come and deliver them. And yet, 
when the Messiah's forerunner comes and preaches, they rejected him. And this week, this week that Jesus is uttering this, they are going to scream or incite the crowds to scream, crucify him, crucify him. Oh, they were like the fig tree that looked like it had all kinds of leaves. But there's no fruit. They volunteered freely. But they were not willing to go in. And even the fact, even the fact that tax collectors and prostitutes were listening to that message should have encouraged them to reconsider their ways and to follow Jesus. Does this, does this sound familiar to you? A father has two sons. One representing the notorious sinners of the nation. And the other representing the religious leaders of the nation. It sounds a lot like Luke 15, doesn't it? It sounds a lot like it. As the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to Jesus to listen to him. And the religious leaders were complaining, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, the parable is brief. I do hope you'll remember to tell me if your translation has the order of these signs reversed. But I want to make three simple points from this lesson about the vineyard. The first point draws not only from this imagery of the vineyard here, but from the imagery of the vineyard that is used throughout the Bible. But this is a term, this is an idea that has a rich Old Testament background. God's mercy, God's grace, God's compassion is shown in calling workers to the vineyard. The vineyard refers, in the Old Testament, God uses this imagery of a vineyard to describe His relationship with the people of Israel. Listen to these words from Psalm 80 and verses 8 through 11. The Bible says, you removed a vine from Egypt. He's talking about Israel. He took the vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground before it. God did everything possible to make the vineyard produce abundantly. You cleared the ground. It took deep root and filled the lands. And the mountains were covered with its shadows. Now verses 8 through 11 continue that description of how the vineyard was planted and the vineyard grew and the vineyard's reproduction uh, passed, surpassed every expectation. The question is asked in Isaiah 5 and verse 4, What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done for it? What 
more could God have done for His people? God has done everything to prepare this year. He has been working on this year since the beginning of time as He has sought to bring a people into relationship with Himself. In Matthew 20, in verses 1 through 16, Matthew 20, in verses 1 through 16, you remember the parable that we alluded to earlier of a landowner, of a landowner who went out to hire people to work in his vineyard. And as he hired people to work in the vineyard, he hired those earliest servants in the beginning of the day and promised them if they would work in the vineyard, he would give them a denarius. But as the day went along and the number of hours left were few, he hired some laborers to go out and work in the vineyard with no promises, uh, no promises of any kind of payment. And, and yet the text tells us there in Matthew 20, at the end of the day, he paid even those who had worked only one hour, he paid them a denarius. The idea of the vineyard is not only that God has carefully planned the ground, removed the rocks, taken all the difficulties out of the way, but God shows enormous mercy and grace in calling sinners and rewarding them beyond any possible expectation they could have. The idea of the vineyard shows us God's mercy and grace and compassion for Israel as He has, from the beginning, sought to bring them into fellowship with Him. But the greatest act of mercy in the vineyard is sending Jesus. It is sending Him. For He is the vine in John 15. Israel was an unfaithful vine in Hosea, 11, Hosea 10 verse 1, Jeremiah 2 verse 21. But Jesus is a faithful vine. I am the vine and you are the branches. God's mercy in calling us into the vineyard. By the way, the question has often arisen over time, what is the interpretation of the various parables? This particular thing that I'm trying to do today in giving you three points it is to stress a lesson with each of the main characters in the parable. First of all, the Father or God, His great generosity in even calling people in the vineyard. But what is the message about the first son? Go work in the vineyard. I'm not going to. But later, they regret it and they go. John the Baptist came preaching 
in the way of righteousness. Calling people to repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When he preached that message, the most unlikely of people responded to that message. The most unlikely people listened to what he had to say. People like tax collectors. People like prostitutes. In Luke chapter 3, as the Bible is recording John preaching this message, there were several groups that came to Jesus and asked, or several groups that came to John and asked, what should we do to repent? And one of them were the tax collectors. In Luke 3, verses 12 and 13, some tax collectors also came to be baptized. And they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what you've been ordered to. That was Jesus' message, or John's message, excuse me, John's message to the tax collectors. Collect no more than what you've been ordered to. But my point is, from the very beginning, the tax collectors of all people who were notorious for being thieves, tax collectors who were who were wicked people often. Zacchaeus, if I cheated anyone of anything, I pay him back four times the amount. Tax collectors listen. They listen. And the prostitute. Listen. This word for prostitute is used about 11 or 12 times in the New Testament. Most of the time it's used. It is used to undermine what a horrible sin this is. Do you take the members of your body and do you make them one with a prostitute or harlot? 1 Corinthians 6, verses 15 and 16. In the book of Revelation, we see the picture of the great prostitute. Most of the times when this word is used in the New Testament, it is to underline how horrible and how hideous this sin is. But the word is also used of Rahab. In Hebrews 11, in verse 31, by faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she welcomed the spies. In peace. James 2 and verse 25 also uses the term in reference to Rahab. In the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? In both cases, the term is used in reference to Rahab to talk about her great act of faith in responding to spies. You remember the story in Joshua 2 where the Bible tells us the spies came from Joshua to search out the city of Jericho. Rahab took these spies and hid them on the roof. 
She hid them at great personal expense to herself. And she goes and she explains to these spies, I have heard and all my people have heard of what the Lord your God has done. How He delivered you out of the land of Egypt. How He defeated the two kings of the Amorites before you, Sihon and Og. And we know that He has given you this land. We know that. And I know there is no God in heaven or earth like the Lord your God. And I simply ask you, spare me and spare my family when you come and destroy the city. All of the people of Jericho had access to the information of what God has done. The great things that God had done and the fact that God was giving them the land of Canaan. But Rahab, Rahab the harlot responded in faith. And Rahab the heart foreshadows the fact that there would be tax collectors in hearts who would respond favorably to that announcement. Repent, the kingdom of heaven has come. They would recognize and regret the sins that they had committed. They would recognize and regret those times that they had paid no attention to God and disregarded His voice. And now they were regretting that. And they were changing their ways. They were going to listen to the Lord's call. They were going to go to the vineyard. One time Jesus was preaching. Jesus was at a table eating with Simon the Pharisee and teaching. Simon apparently kept his house open so that others could come in and listen to the conversation. And one of those who comes in is a sinful woman. This sinful woman no doubt was involved in sexual sins. It seems like from the context. And when she's involved in these sins, Simon the Pharisee thinks if this man were a prophet, he would know who or what sort of person it is who's touching him, that she's a sinner. And Jesus says, Simon, I have something to say to you. There was a money lender and, and two people owed him money. One owed 50 denarii and the other owed 500. And when neither of them were able to repay, neither were able to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them is going to love him the most? Simon says, I suppose the one he forgave the most. He said, that's right. You see this woman? You gave me no water for my feet, and she's wet my feet with her tears. You gave me no kiss, and she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did did not anoint my head with oil, and she has anointed my feet with perfume. Her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. Even the worst of sin can hear God's invitation. The kingdom of God has come. And they can repent 
of their sins. They can return from their wickedness. And they can go work in the vineyard. There is forgiveness of every sin in Him. Something I'm sure I've shared with you before. But I can remember when a preacher told me after a lesson one time I talked about forgiveness. He said, can you imagine Mary in the church at Jerusalem with people who had slain, crucified him? Even for those, there was forgiveness. And this first son, who said, I'm not going to go, but goes, is like the prodigal, who when he's hungry and starving in the far country, says, I'm going to get up and go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am not worthy to be called your son. Just make me as a hired servant. And the father ran to him and embraced him and celebrated his return. There is forgiveness for the worst of sinners to cry. But I would say also, the second son represents that none are beyond the call of repentance. We can't think these words don't apply to us. We can't think that they have nothing to say to us. But the tax collectors and the sinners, the tax collectors and the prostitutes were listening to John's message. But the Pharisees and Sadducees in Matthew 3 didn't have an inclination to listen. He said, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Don't think to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is laid to the root of the trees and every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. None of us are beyond the call to repentance. None of us are exempt from these words. In Luke 13, Jesus refers to a couple of contemporary events that makes that context extremely different. For most Times Jesus makes no reference to what's going on, to what would have been in the news then. But in, in Luke 13, he said on the same occasion, there were some people who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And this is what Jesus said. Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all Galileans because they suffered this faith? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise bear. Or do you suppose 
that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, that they were worse culprits than all men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. I can remember a preacher making this statement. He said, I convert about nine tenths of the people. I say, I say, but then he came. If they come to recognize their sin. If they recognize their sin, it's easy. One of the last people we talked to in Florida, I can remember that she had come for a couple of weeks to services. Didn't really have any religious background. I said, right now, would you decide yourself as saved or as lost? When she said, I'm lost and I need help, I knew how the story would be. And we still have a study by phone with her today. The Pharisees, the scribes, the elders, they didn't see their need. The tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And only as we recognize our enormous need Will we bow before Him? May God help us to see how needy, how dependent we all are on His mercy. Let us pray. O Lord, we are thankful for Your mercy. We are thankful for Your grace. And all that You have done to take care of your vine, to prepare the ground, to plant us so that we might bear fruit. We are thankful, God, for your mercy. May we imitate, may we be taught by those who recognize their enormous need and recognize their desperate need of cleansing. And not be like us. 
who think who thought themselves easing out of the call to the people. Thank you for your mercy. We beg, Lord, be merciful to us, the sinners. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask you the question that we asked of Living Florida. Are you lost or are you saved? If you're lost, then sure is God's fault. Because God has done everything in order to prepare the vineyard to bear fruit. He's done everything to make available salvation and forgiveness in Jesus. If you know that you're lost and you want to make a turn and you want to follow him, if you believe Jesus died and rose again, then turn from your sins in repentance like the tax collectors, like the prostitutes did. Turn from those sins. Be baptized into Christ. Those groups, according to Luke 7, 29 and 30, accepted the justice of God by being baptized with the baptism of John. And we invite you to be baptized in the name of Christ for his forgiveness as we stand and as we sing.